Hey, Politicology. Uh, since we're at the beginning of the year and there have been a lot of really interesting stories already, there's a lot happening. I wanted to give you a sample of the exclusive conversations we have every week for our Politicology Plus subscribers. Uh, this week, we talked about Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene evolving on her views about QAnon, essentially recanting them. And that was really an entry point to a much larger conversation about the role of conspiracy theories and conspiratorial thinking. And I thought you might appreciate it. So we're going to make this one available to the main feed this week. And since we flip over to this conversation right after we end the roundup, sometimes there's some banter at the beginning that has nothing to do with the uh, topic. So there's a little bit in here about uh, ChatGPT and an ad that it wrote. So if you want to hear more conversations like this and get the other benefits of being a Politicology Plus subscriber, for example, we have uh, an inbox dedicated just for Politicology Plus listeners to send in their comments and questions and ideas for future episodes. You can head over to politicology.com slash plus and sign up today. Hey, Politicology Plus. Okay, wait, I want to read you guys. Uh, <laughs> I want to read you guys one of the ads that it uh, that ChatGPT uh, wrote for us. So this is this is an ad about why inflation is hurting Americans. Opening, By the way, this scares the hell out of me. I know. Like, yeah. Like, eat your heart out, media consultants. <laughs> it's not good. Although I will be able to turn out op-eds <laughs> like that. <laughs> Here, here's how it goes. Opening shot of a family sitting at their kitchen table, looking worried as they go over their bills. Narrator. Inflation is hurting American families like yours. Cut to footage of prices rising at a grocery store. Narrator. The cost of everyday essentials like food and gas is increasing at an alarming rate. Cut to footage of a person filling up their car with gas, looking shocked at the price. Narrator. And it's not just the cost of necessities that's going up. Rent, healthcare, and education are all becoming increasingly unaffordable. Cut to footage of a family looking at a for rent sign, shaking their heads, and footage of a person receiving a medical bill looking worried. Narrator. Our government needs to take action to address inflation and ensure that all Americans can afford the basics. Cut to footage of the political candidate speaking at a rally, looking determined. Narrator, vote for candidate name, a leader who understands the struggles of everyday Americans and is committed to taking action on inflation. Closing shot of the family sitting at their kitchen table, looking relieved. Narrator, together we can build a future where all Americans can afford the basics and live with dignity and security. End with campaign slogan and logo. Please note that this script is a fictional representation of a political ad, and it doesn't represent any real political party or candidate. Paid for by ChatGPT. <laughs> yes. When I was in college, I had to write, like you had to learn what different stages in a campaign you use political ads. Now, granted, that's yeah. all garbage yeah. now. Yeah. But when you were learning how to write it, literally, that was the formula yeah. that you did. You had to have the negative. You had to have the answer. And then you had to end on the positive. Yep. It's like... I wonder if you would have said, write a negative ad. Oh, yeah. yeah. How it would have ended. Well, we tried that. It, it, wouldn't, just been... it wouldn't write one about Joe Biden hmm. or Donald Trump. It wouldn't. It, it, because that was that would be unethical. I feel like that was <laughs> so. like the, 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 the completeness of it was impressive. 
Not especially original, yeah. though. If I saw that on TV. Not especially original. No, I was going to say, I've seen that ad at least 822 <laughs> exactly. times. Yeah, yeah. But, but I competent. I probably produced that ad Very competent. Very times. competent. <laughs> Very competent. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that is not the topic of our Politicology Plus segment today, but I couldn't resist. Uh, we're going to talk about MTG. Uh, <laughs> so, earlier in January, Sorry. Congresswoman... <laughs> Marjorie Taylor Greene told Fox News that she was sucked into some things she saw on the internet. That's a quote. After she was elected in 2020, Greene became obviously the first member of Congress to have endorsed QAnon's, quote, outrageous and baseless claims, according to Rolling Stone, Andy. In 2017 and 2018, Greene called a Q a patriot. She also authored a post on the website American Truth Seekers with the headline, Must Read, Democratic Party Involved with Child Sex, Satanism, and the Occult. Green did say that QAnon isn't something she believes in and that those beliefs are so far in the past. Uh, so, do we believe her? <laughs> what did you make of, of Green's evolution on QAnon, Andy? And I guess... Um, you know, it's probably worth noting here that while we're going to laugh about this, right, because it's Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know, one of the one of the consistent themes uh, when it comes to conspiracy theories on the Internet is that many of the people who fall into them are really victims of of information that's been weaponized precisely for that purpose. And uh, and, you know, that's not really a laughing matter. Maybe a modicum uh, of empathy for uh, for Green here is appropriate. Well, anyway, what do you make of this um, evolution? This may earn me the everlasting disdain of the Politicology Plus audience, but I do actually feel a small morsel of empathy toward Marjorie Taylor Green. Now, I don't believe, based on the timing and the context of these statements of hers, that this is really anything other than an attempt to try to appease probably the Republican leadership in the House uh, in Marjorie Taylor Greene's effort, Congresswoman Greene's effort to get a real House committee assignment, to try to get a little more closer to some position of influence in the Republican caucus. I, I don't see this as anything other than that. But I do think Deeper down, Marjorie Taylor Greene is emblematic of so many people who I think at a, at a low point in their lives, at a place of vulnerability, at a place of real trouble, they did go online. They did fall prey to viral conspiracy theories. I mean, a lot of times people... I mean, having, having written about this, researched this, reported this, interviewed people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who became QAnon believers or Seth Rich conspiracy theorists, you know, and often this comes from a place of uh, you feel lost, you feel disillusioned, you feel detached, and you seek out community. In the past, you would seek out community at the local bowling alley or at the civic association, the town hall, some kind of actual social fabric institution. More and more nowadays, you go online and online pushes you to the fringes. And clearly it's pushed a lot of people, including her, to uh, fringe subjects like QAnon. And, uh, you know, I, that's why I've always been fascinated by her 
beyond the, what's on the surface, beyond the antics and the stunts and all of that. I mean, obviously, she went further than just joining a QAnon Facebook group and starting to repeat these things to friends, family, whomever. She became a, a, a very active player in this to the point that it propelled her to a run for Congress and then election to Congress. But at her core, she is not unique. There are so many people like her out there and if you can hold in your mind on the one hand she's clearly doing this now as a you know as a gesture of sort of opportunism as a chance to kind of say something she needs to say so they'll stick her on a committee that she wants if you can hold that thought in mind but also hold the other one in mind that what she's describing is not that far off from what has happened to millions of people and it's something that we've got to take seriously because it is a driver of this, you know, tearing of the social fabric, a driver of not even polarization, but this sort of descent into post-fact America. She is a she is a, is an emblem of that, and and I do take again what she said semi seriously, just because I've seen so many other people do the same thing that she did. She's just the one who took it as far as thinking it made her eligible to be a member of Congress. Yeah. Susan, do you hate me Susan. for that? <laughs> no, I don't hate it. I think that's only the first part, though. Okay. And I would say, okay. However, she's been a member of Congress. She's had different exposures. She's now, you know, there are people who this is really detrimental to, and they, because they are looking for validation of their beliefs and they are on the internet and they tend to be loners or just find like-minded people. But Marjorie Taylor Greene has been in Congress. She's been around all different types of people, all different types of ideas. She doesn't have to accept them, but she's been exposed to them over and over. And the fact is, is she doubled down not because she believed in some of these conspiracy theories or some of the ugly, racist, xenophobic things that she has said, but because she could capitalize on it, because it helped her grow and rise as a political figure and heckling, you know, gun activists like children and young kids, basically. Um, all of her behavior indicates that there is no pity I can share for her because she has been exposed and she made an active decision to capitalize on it. It wasn't a belief at all. And she is a danger. And I know we said off the record, off air that we weren't going to say this, but when people talk about George Santos and all of his lies, you know what? It's despicable. It's horrible. It's wrong. Everything else. And maybe he violated some campaign finance laws, but it's he is nowhere as dangerous as Marjorie Taylor Greene and the role she has in our government today. I am much more concerned about her and rather talk and highlight what she has said and will do than than somebody who, frankly, lied. Yes, bad. But she is a danger to our democracy. I think it's fair. Do you Certainly. hate me? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I have more thoughts. I think I think I think both of these <laughs> things can be true and are true, which which is that uh we can and should hold some empathy for um victims of conspiracy theories uh and also have zero tolerance for people like that ending up with the levers of power. Um, I think both of those things can be true, and that's a, certainly a fair distinction to make. Um, part of the reason why this story was interesting to us was 
because of a piece in The Atlantic uh, this week by Brian Kloss about how conspiratorial thinking is hurting democracy. And Kloss is uh, an American who teaches global politics at University College in London. So he looked at the differences in belief in conspiracy theories between Americans and the British, and he cited differences in a poll uh, from August, September 2021. In that poll, a third of Americans believe a group of people secretly runs the world versus 18% in the UK. I was actually pretty surprised at that number of Americans. Um, 9% of Americans think COVID-19 is a fake disease versus 3% in the UK. 17% of Americans agreed with the statement, a secret group of Satan-worshipping pedophiles has taken control of parts of the U.S. government and mainstream U.S. media. 17% of Americans agreed with that statement. 8% of people uh, in the U.K. So um, I wonder how those numbers strike you, uh, both of you. Um, and Andy, maybe we'll start with you. And uh, and also, you know, this is from September, August, September, 2021. So it's not super recent, but also not super old. Just remember what was going on at that time, right? We were in the height of the stop the, you know, not the stop the steal, but like it was stolen stuff. Like all those rallies were raging. Um, so bear that in mind too, I suppose. Uh, maybe those numbers have shifted or dropped since then, but um, anyway, and feel free to follow up on the previous yeah. point, but also I'm curious about how these numbers. Yeah. I mean, it, it, the difference between Americans who believe in, and in this case, Brits who believe, is actually a, a comparison that I've never tried to, that I've never encountered or sought out and then tried to understand why that, that would be just because the capacity for conspiratorial thinking is a human thing. I mean, it's, it's not unique to language, yeah. nationality, geography, uh, anything like that. But you know, let's just take, and and it's also not longitudinal. We should note that we don't have any right. longitudinal data on this. This was just a single right. snapshot. Right. But, so. but but if we take that snapshot as a agree that that is a place, we'll take those numbers and we'll we'll start from there. The first thing that I would think of is it has to speak to some either particularly unique moment in time, which I think a a recently uh, defeated head of state being a conspiracy theorist in chief at the same time as he was a president and then recently defeated foreign president is a pretty unique driver of that phenomenon. And I have to think that is a big part of it because we have not seen British PMs acting in this kind of way. And I, I, I like, it would be fascinating then to do a similar kind of poll comparing say the United States right now and Brazil where you've had a similar mm. phenomenon play out to the point that Brazil had its own quasi January 6th moment uh, just, what, a week and a half ago. Uh, so I have to think that the former president plays a big part of that, and thus it's somewhat unique to, to that particular point in time, August of 2021. But I would also love to know if there are, again, sort of deeper questions about social fabric, whether there are yeah. uh, indicators or there are trends about social cohesion, polarization, tribalism in the U.S. that maybe are exacerbated in a way that they're not in the United Kingdom, in a way that they inflame people's tendency to reach for QAnon or Pizzagate or COVID conspiracy theories here that they don't quite 
do the same in say Britain? Uh, I mean, it's a great question to to drive toward, and I would love someone to do it again with do it with the U.S. in India, the U.S. in Brazil, um, U.S. in in, a, in maybe a more staid kind of place like Germany. I, mean, I think you could you could really surface some fascinating stuff there. I don't think the Trump effect explains everything, but I do imagine it explains some of it, given the size of the megaphone, the office that he held. Well, look at how Orban's gained power in Hungary. I mean, that's a real, I mean, that's really, really happening. And it's it's not developing over time like Brazil. I mean, the things that moves he's taken in his government are, are truly frightening. Um, and as a matter of fact, when you talk about democracy and, and common shared values, Hungary and Turkey are the two countries that are preventing Finland and Sweden from joining uh, NATO into. Yeah. So these are big. These these things have big implications. And I think, you know, when you look at the these conspiracy theories, I mean, I'll say you can find some there's a place for everyone somewhere on the Internet. <laughs> it's just a matter of how big it gets and how much support it has. And let's not forget, like with Donald Trump, before the QAnon and him, not, you know, say, not dismissing them, it started with David Duke when he was interviewed. And he said, well, you know, one of the interviewers said, like, don't you want to like say D David Duke's like, you know, a horrible person, whatever, or reprimand him. And he's like, well, David I don't Duke, really he know of KKK him. infamy. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. For the younger folk. For the, um, for the younger folks. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but he did it because he was afraid of turning off voters. He knew he needed just a few of them to help build a coalition of hate. And that's what he did. And then he found another coalition of hate and one built upon another that they became a thread through a lot of it. And that's where the, the, the threat to democracy is. The threat is also when you start saying, well, it's, Someone's not as bad as, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Yeah. You know, okay. Well, that's like, so Gosart is, is now okay. <laughs> I mean, you can't, it's, it's the comparison and the extremism of what they're doing, but it, it does threaten our democracy because it also lends to the loudest voices controlling the, the conversation when they don't necessarily represent the popular opinion and look no further than Kevin McCarthy, 20, you know, 20 rebels stop 200 from their vote. So these conspiracies start digging in. They really do take hold. Yeah. Klaus, uh, focus similarly on the, on the central role conspiracy theorists have, uh, within the Republican party season, he pointed out, um, after McCarthy was, finally elected speaker, one of the first photos he took with, with Marjorie Taylor Greene. Um, and of course, Michael Flynn, who had a 22-day stint uh, as the national security advisor to Donald Trump, right, uh, has claimed that COVID-19 was created by George Soros, Bill Gates, and the WHO to steal the 2020 election. Um, he's also claimed that Yuval Noah Harari, uh, uh, the best-selling author, he's brilliant author, uh, as part of a plot to alter human DNA and turn us into cyborgs. Oh, wow. I hadn't heard um, that one. But the, it's uh, the thread that he yeah. has. It's the, it's it, the thread yeah. that he has to Donald Trump 
Right. So he finds a few people who love Donald Trump who say, oh, this guy worked for him. You know, he must be one of us, whatever the heck that means. So not every, you know, not all 100 people who tune, you know, read that post <laughs> buy into it. But if five do, if three do, yeah. they share it. Yeah. And, and you mentioned the conspiracy theorist in chief, Andy, and he is uh, obviously the only person running for the Republican nomination for president right now, um, absent a DeSantis nomination. So, so there is something uh, sort of specific to the Republican Party and to the right about, um, about conspiracies, at least right now. Um, and this might be uh, unfair, uh, but it just comes to me at the, uh, at the top of my head, which is I wonder how much sort of magical thinking and the, you know, the American version of Christianity uh, or at least fundamentalism plays into, you know, a tendency to um, to believe conspiracy uh, conspiracies and be susceptible to them. And I don't, I think maybe you and I've had a off mic chat about this at some point. I can't remember, but is this something that you've looked at? Whether there's any, if there's any relationship between uh, the religious right in America and, and, and conspiracy theories. You know, the science that I've read on this is actually quite interesting because it doesn't cut in the directions that you might imagine it to be. There, there is a little bit of overlap um, in terms of deeply held uh, religious views or an affiliation with um, a more fundamentalist uh, branch of one of the major religions. There's a little bit of research out there that one might suggest an openness to the other religion than to sort of conspiratorial beliefs. However, there's also interesting research out there to complicate things here that, you know, belonging to a major religion or a minor one for that matter, but, but being part of that group actually gives you some of that community that you wouldn't otherwise have if you're not a if you're not a believer if you're not a, if you don't belong and that causes you to go out and seek something like QAnon or these covid anti-vax groups that 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 people find that human connection they find that cohesion they find that that interaction that they that we just need as humans through their religious groups even if they are more you know a, a fundamentalist version of that then people who have no kind of affiliation, they are not regular churchgoers, and thus they seek out their community on on Facebook or Telegram or Twitter or whatever. So it's not it's not a clear connection from what I've seen. What it speaks to, though, is that some form of community is required. People need that. They crave that. It makes them feel human and alive, and they find it. In religion, but as the overall share of people who attend church regularly or say that they belong to a certain um, religion has dwindled, you do see an increase as well in people who subscribe to these insane conspiracy theories about globalists or you know the the deep state or what have you. So, um, and I, this isn't a pitch for you know get out there and go to church and find yourself a, a religion, <laughs> my friend. But um, I, I do think it speaks to this notion of people need community, and if they're not getting it in the ways we've known in the past, then they are getting it in these new online 
pretty bizarre forms, which has helped you know, helps explain what brought the country to this you know precarious place we find ourselves at right now. I just had the briefest you know glimpse of what you would be like behind a pulpit <laughs> as a preacher. Just very very briefly, there it was. <laughs> I would go. That was I would a go thought to that I've never had, my friend. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, Susan, any any other? Uh, closing thoughts here specifically about really to both of you, but he writes the, you know, the biggest threat in, in, in this challenge is, is that, you know, to solve a problem, um, you first have to agree that it exists. Democracy therefore requires a shared sense of reality. A shared sense of reality obviously has been elusive, uh, in our, in our political environment for the last, uh, well, ever since Donald Trump, um, came into office. And so I, I wonder, you know, on that problem alone and, Andy mentioned a post-fact America. Um, how can we, even in small ways, um, cut through the conspiracy theories and get back to having uh, a common reality? Well, after our conversation in the first um, program, I'm more concerned about AI and what people are going to now be able to use, how they can use it. And I'm not being like sarcastic here. Like, imagine if the crazy writings didn't sound so crazy. Yeah. Or you had it written in the style of Martin Luther King, something or, completely inspirational. Yeah. Or, you know, there is a, <laughs> I'm more afraid of it taking hold and think that's more likely than can we break it up? I mean, breaking it up, I think the first thing we could do, the easy part would be elected officials, people in public life, holding them accountable and, and just, putting the social pressure on whether it's their language or buying into these conspiracy theories that they, that it's no, you cannot be accepted by anybody except the smallest of fringes. And that will lead you to lose your office. But that to me is the only thing we can like use the hammer to, if you will. But like I said, I'm more concerned about how they can, they're going to be able to package things and not just be the, the ramblings of a crazy person, frankly, but if someone who can use, you know, resources and, and, and sound not crazy. Yeah. Uh, so I'm more and, depressed. Sorry. <laughs> Andy, any, any hopeful notes or do you think people are just going to ask chat GPT to write the next conspiracy? Theory? I mean, I, uh, I kind of want to sign up for it just to see what it would spit out just, and hopefully it would deny it just like it denied your Biden attack ad. But uh, I don't know, yeah. actually, I've seen yeah. anyone talk about that. I mean, this is the, it's one of those, you know, questions where there are so many answers that span basically every facet of our, our lives, our politics, our families, our religions, everything, our neighborhoods. We could talk for days about that. I mean, the, I will say the, 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 the one political reform that I've, that I find fascinating. I mean, the Matt Gates is the Marjorie Taylor Greens, the Paul Gosars, people like that. You know, they're in some ways empowered because their elections are just primaries nowadays, right? They're in, in so many states, the primary is the election. R and D. Um, this is one of a million ideas, and it's not a particularly original one, but we have in the last couple of election cycles seen some evidence of, hey, if we just take politicians out of the job. Uh, out of the role of drawing their own political lines and maybe try to create some 
fair districts that would force people to moderate themselves. I, I wonder if that would help a little bit. I think the last few elections have shown it would help to some degree. And it would, you know, because because that's what these people, these these extremists on both sides do. They are catering to, speaking toward, live streaming in the direction of their most extreme constituents and, and, and voters. And um, I, I would just, in my mind, I would love to, I would love to see what would fair districts look like around the country and what would, how would Congress change? Would this, you know, 20 uh, rebels, would they even exist in a Congress that was actually, uh, you know, fairly reflective of the places that these people represent? I would help. I would hope that that would help at least a little bit, but certainly wouldn't be a, a, a cure all. Chat GPT, please draw redistricting <laughs> boundaries, optimizing. Now that for... I think AI would be great to be used for. I, I Actually, wholly I endorse that. Use. Having having drawn the lines manually by myself, <laughs> I agree. I think I think it actually could be done. Could be done and I'll just end. I have a hopeful thing, sorta. So and to that. that point, more people voting, more people voting will prevent extreme extremists from winning because you have to appeal to a larger group of people. So if voter participation would really go up, then elected officials would have to respond to a greater amount of people and a greater amount of ideas. Here, here. Well put. As always, Politicology Plus, this was, this was really fun. It's been good to visit with you. If you have any questions, or advice for us. We have a dedicated inbox just for you. And that is plus at politicology.com. And we will talk to you next week. Thanks, guys. Thanks.